Sorry, it's the Post Relevant Podcast. A podcast for the end of the end of time. With your host, Bill Rostano. And the vicar did dance upon a mulberry stump until E-I-E-I-O away. Never again the day did come. Hi, it's Phil. How's everybody doing? Welcome back to the Post Relevant Podcast. This is episode three. I want to welcome you to episode three. It's me, it's your buddy Phil. What's going down? I hope your lives are lovely. Honestly, I really hope that. I hope your lives are just dynamite. We all deserve dynamite lives, just absolute wonderment every day. It will be that way someday, I think. Someday. The Elysium Fields, as they say. The triumphant fields of the afterlife for the Greeks. It used to be that everyone just went straight to Hades, no matter what you did in Greek uh, society. I guess you could be really good and you'd still end up in Hades somewhere. But at some point, uh, they stopped uh, digging that idea. (laughs) And they created the Elysium Fields. and That's where all the heroes go. The worthy. The good. The very good. (laughs) I would say you'd have to be at least very good to get to the Elysium Fields. Probably great to sub-great. Anyway, neither here nor there, but I do wish that you all have wonderful lives. Thanks again for coming to the podcast. Um, More Under the Silver Lake talk today, which is exciting. Um, This is really the reason I started this podcast. Um, I wanted to talk about this movie. I know that's kind of weird. I mean, there's so many other reasons that you could start a podcast. But I kept on thinking, like, what hasn't been done? What isn't anyone talking about? There's so many podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts for well over a decade, probably. I'm wondering if it's been maybe 15 to 20 years. I don't know. I can't even imagine. But um, I started this because I I, I, I like, like interpreting this movie. There are moments of epiphany. And one day while watching that film and realizing what might potentially be inside of it. I don't know. I just had this feeling. I don't even know how I knew. But that it was really something phenomenal to dig into. Like it had secrets. Every inch of it. Secrets are the fun. Investigation. Like to, to really be challenged. To try to decipher something that is foreign to you. You know. That it does not present itself as typical are on on the surface and there was just something in there there's just something honestly i can't explain how i knew that this was the right thing to talk about something in me was like okay there's no way that any as far as i can tell there's nobody else who's realized this thing about this movie and what makes it special and i saw it i saw it and i knew like you know there have been other times where there have been other ideas that i wanted to create and i've started to create and i never finished you know other projects that I have finished and sometimes you you don't get to like when the inspiration strikes you if it's an idea that you can't put down you know that you can't just like wave off as like ah you know that's that's a silly idea or that'd be a waste of time or something like that instead 
I found that I wanted to know. I wanted to know. I, I, there was something in there that needed to be understood, and I wanted to understand it. And because of the sort of mythological nature of the subject matter, it just felt like it was going to yield a lot, a lot of ideas and um, a lot of inspiration, a lot of translating, I guess, or digging into the past to understand the present, and interpreting and reinterpreting. You know, uh, there's something about poetry. When I write lyrics for songs, there's this thing that happens where you start to come up with these ideas or kind of a thing that you sort of want to talk about or you're sort of talking around. And then you think of a thing to say. And then you think of a, a different way to say it. And then you think of a different, different way to say it. And you can keep on morphing the way to describe the thing until it no longer sounds like the thing anymore, but it's still about the same thing and pointing towards the same experience or idea, but completely uh, morphed, uh, translated, you know, turned into something that language, language, it can be malleable. It can be fantastical. I mean, you know, they say spell, you spell words. So a word is a spell. I mean, there's magic in language. It's that simple. It's magical. And so I, I, I saw this in this movie, I saw this magic and this magical translation. It was just doing something that I hadn't, I, I felt like I'd seen before maybe and people like David Lynch, but uh, I'm not always, it's not always that I thought I could get in and figure it all out. That's rare. And something about this felt, because it was so new, I was like, this is it. This is my moment. This is my, my the, the wormhole into this reality is open at this moment and I should seize it. And uh, for some reason I thought it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. And I had no idea what this movie was about, honestly. I had clues, but very few. And so as I've been unveiling this process of deciphering this film, uh, the stuff that I've learned from doing it is really cool and it's taken me in these directions that I never ever considered I'd be going in. And I'm learning so much, man. I'm, I like it. I like that it's making me read. <laughs> it's making me read, you know, and make and 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 make connections and, and make assumptions even. Learn and when you learn these certain things and then you can translate them into what's going on in the film. It's uh, so satisfying because you, you've solved the puzzle some weird ass puzzle that this guy made it's freaking cool I know this is a weird thing to obsess about I don't normally do it quite like that but for some reason this just felt like it was the way into so much more than what the movie is I felt like this was an opportunity to talk about all these things that I've learned over the years that were about studying subject matters that are not mainstream, you know, trying to look under the surface of our society and trying to understand why it is the way it is, what makes it tick, what's the language built on, what the real history is. Anyway, it was all there. So I appreciate you indulging me. <laughs> if you're listening to this, I appreciate you indulging me. I think it's going to be worth it.
So in this episode, Andy and I, we talk about uh, what we think Sam's state of mind is, and we relate it to our experiences. And then we talk about Sam getting sprayed by the skunk and and Jefferson Sevens dying and then him taking a bath with all of his theories in the tomato bath. And then we go to the conspiracy comic book guy's house. And that part is awesome. We really, really figure out what's on his walls. And, uh, you know, there are later episodes where we'll talk more about what's on his walls. <laughs> it's impressive. The uh, set design on this movie is really awesome. I'm, I would love to meet those people. Anyway, enough of my yakking. Let's boogie, as they say in Spinal Tap. I keep folding and folding, and, and, and then I have this, and I don't want this. I want large bread. Here we go. Post-relevant podcast, episode three. More Under the Silver Lake talk with me and Andy. Check it out. Howdy. Welcome back to the Post-Relevant Podcast. This is Phil Restino here talking at you. And I'm joined by my brother, Andy Restino. Say hi, Andy. That's me. Andy Restino. That's me. That's me, Mario. No, Andy. Uh, Andy, and we are both Italians. Did you ever work in a pizza place, Andy? I never did, no. But I've eaten there many a time. <laughs> awesome. Okay. <laughs> good Good detail. Yeah. Um, I, uh, we're, we're here. We're back again. This is part four, I think, of our series about Under the Silver Lake, the genius movie that I think is uh, extremely meaningful. And you, the listener, are welcome to disagree, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm out to prove that you're wrong and I'm right, <laughs> that this is a dope-ass movie and every piece of it has a lot of symbolism and meaning and juicy goodness for the viewer to dig right into. And dig in we shall. Um, before we get started, though, Andy, um, yeah, one of the things that you seem to be really drawn to about this film was the uh, codes. Yeah. And it seems like uh, I've heard you mention before, you as a comic book artist especially, you seem to be interested in thing and people that try to put like secret messages and codes into their sure. stories, their art, that kind of thing. Now, what? When did that start for you? Do you? Is there something that triggered that whole um, fascination for you, and maybe even especially in comic book art, but in other medium as well? I don't know. I mean, I feel like there were always. I mean, much like the protagonist in this movie, like in elementary school, uh, me and my best friend Greg used to make up codes. Greg was super into codes, so maybe he's the guy who got me into it. But uh, what kind of codes? Uh, like he had a book on codes and so he do like replacement ciphers and stuff like that, huh. but he, he created his own alphabet. It was just like a replacement cipher for the alphabet and he memorized how to write in it. He would write, uh, stuff in, like that in it. But, but, but I think getting back to media, I think there's just, I, I, this is something I'll have to think about a little bit, but I definitely feel mm -hmm. like, you know, like directors like Terry Gilliam or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of the comic book artists and writers we're into, they're mm -hmm. always putting a lot of weird little things in their movies or and comics and stuff like that. And you started picking that up at some point. Yeah. Well, it would be, you know, like for some reason, you like this movie, for some reason, you become obsessed with a movie mm -hmm. and start noticing little details and you'd watch it over and over again, you know, mm -hmm. 
And you'd just start to see, you'd start to yeah. notice from watching it over and over again that they were things that maybe weren't so overt, but that were, right. they were sneaking into the yeah. images in the film or in the right. book or something like that. Or yeah. certain then things all, that people would say. Yeah. But like then that. also, I feel like, you know, I, I don't do, I don't make comics that much anymore, but I used to work on comics a lot. And they're kind of like semi-planned comics, but kind of very train of thought comics. And I kind of while making them, I left it kind of open to see what happened in them kind of. So like, I wouldn't have a, I'd have a direction for the characters, but if while making it, I got an idea to have them do something else, uh, I would just go in that direction. You know, like I kind of like whims and stuff like that. And then I was also like that with the art where I just kind of let the art develop. And there were stuff where my lettering was really wonky in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I would be like randomly capitalizing letters and stuff like that. And eventually that eventually turned into me putting codes and stuff in the comics. And then it was weird. Cause it was like, I'd be putting secret messages in and then I'd be putting like subliminal messages in the character's hair and stuff like that. Oh really? And yeah. And uh, the, the, my really weird issues have all these weird codes and like secret messages in them which don't exactly make sense. Mm -hmm. But then I'd also have characters where like language would just break down and adding more meaning. Eventually it broke down into like language was meaningless, if that makes any sense. And you're doing that on purpose? I, I was just kind of letting things go where they went. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I wasn't trying to control things. It was kind of like, and then after I did all that, I kind of understood why there were all these rules in language. Like it's kind of like I learned a bunch of stuff I never never sunk in in high school about the English language. And hmm. I like, I'm like, Oh, well, this is the reason that this rule exists. Or do you have an example of that? I'm, I'm trying to remember the babysitter. It seemed like maybe that was the comic book that you drew, wrote and drew that maybe had the most of that kind of stuff. in it. I actually think I probably, uh, I did a comic called life of a fetus in yeah. issue six is probably the craziest filled with messages where it's kind of like what the, the character is going through where there's just messages and everything. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of reflecting the character's state of mind. Yeah. And yeah. that he's kind of maybe losing his shit a little bit. He's losing his shit. But then also like I was putting messages into the characters. Like I was apologizing to the characters for what right. I was going to put them through. Right. And that was like a message from God. You know, if I'm the one creating their universe. Yeah. Kind of thing. I totally get that. Like, yeah, feel, I feel like you've done that too in your work, that kind of stuff. I don't know if I apologize to the characters, okay. but I get that vibe of like, uh, it feels wrong to cruel, right? Yeah, it feels cruel to put, put like, them if, through the shit. If like you're I, gonna have that, you gotta you gotta create dramatic, uh, you know, a yeah. dramatic story, and in order to do that, it's you gotta put them through difficult situations, right? But then you start to realize, oh, this is like, these are the fractured parts of my psyche that right. aren't uh, well. And so I'm all I know how to do. That's something that I would kind of go through is like, all I know how to do is engage in these fucked up situations. You know what I mean? Like that it's sort of a sign of the unwellness of society right. is that we yeah. keep on engaging in these stories where we make the characters go through yeah. all these horrible things. Yeah. But then, you know, and that, but then at some point you also see like, well, you kind of need like this level of intensity to create any sort of mm -hmm. meaningful drama half right. the time, uh, which is why like most Hollywood movies have somebody running around with a gun. Right. 
you know, it's that fake kind of drama right. that it comes yeah. from like, I punch you, you punch me, I shoot yeah. you, you shoot me. It's like every episode of Lost. Exactly, where they're always punching the poor, the, the or, bad or guy in the face over yeah, and over Yeah, or again. they're like, "Who now Sawyer has the guns. <laughs> right. Like, that's like the first two seasons of Lost. <laughs> right, now I have the guns. Yeah. <laughs> that's hysterical. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of getting off topic a little yeah. bit, but what I wanted to lead into was... Well, can I say one thing before yeah, you absolutely. lead into absolutely. the next thing? Is I also feel like it's just... And I don't know if everyone is like this, but I feel like I have a natural tendency to read into everything and mm-hmm. and see uh, not necessarily messages, but connections mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and you kind of make up messages or, you yeah. know, like someone will say something and your mind will make up like, oh, does this mean this or does this mean this or just were they trying part to of give that me is, a hint? Right. Or? Part of that is like trying to read what a person, it, you know, it's all which that kind of comes down to, does this person like me or not? Right, right. <laughs> Half the time you're trying to f- figure out like, what do they actually mean by what they're saying? Right. But I the feel like the text of their, of their communication. There's definitely moments in my life where I've been more unmoored from reality and uh-huh. everything felt like a secret message aimed directly at me. All right. So that's the yeah. perfect segue right there, which is because yeah. I think you and I both went through a similar stage in our psychological development where yeah. maybe we were a little more f- fractured as people. Yeah. I'll just tell you what I went through and then you can tell me what you went through. And I'll try okay. to make it brief. But I feel like this is important because Sam, the main character in Under the Silver Lake, divulges his own peculiar fascinations yeah. uh, in a pivotal scene that's coming up. And we're going to talk about it. And you really kind of get to see like a little bit behind his psyche, what's going on with this guy, because he's so weird. And we're trying to, you're, you as the viewer are trying to figure out what's this guy's deal. Right. And he, he talks about Vanna White. And I like his dialogue about Vi- Vanna White because it's so specific and odd. Yeah. It's not a thing that I would ever have no. imagined. And so it really shows like this guy is maybe really off the deep end, you know, yeah. and in, in this really peculiar way. And, but it really reminds me of a time in my life and more specifically in San Francisco. And I think for you also San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. It's about where, that time. yeah. Where I had gone through a lot of difficult experiences that had kind of broken me down. And then by the time I was in San Francisco, I was kind of uh, a fractured person and, and and probably some of this is the result of having taken LSD, uh, you mm-hmm. know, I'll just to admit that. And uh, so that I had gotten to this place where I was in San Francisco and it seemed like I was getting messages from everything in a way, you know what I mean? Where you'd right. start to look at like billboards or things like that and start to wonder why, see if they reflected your thoughts at the time. Right. But I was also, I was seeing like uh, uh, certain windows that would refract light in a certain way that right. would create crosses in them. And that I had figured, I, I, I had like traced to being, seemingly they were thought to be, a certain group of people thought that they were messages from Maitreya, who was supposed to be the Buddha of the future. Uh-huh. Um, and then I was going through all that those experiences where I was writing and drawing this comic book that one of the characters in the book was this homeless man, this Native American Blackfoot Indian man that I met with our sister Christine up in Seattle. I began to write and draw this book, and he was a character in the book. And then I re-met the homeless man on the streets in San Francisco right? and had like a profound 
conversation with him, I mean, he seemed like a really, like he was an out, real serious alcoholic and the way he spoke was very odd. And so it, his language seemed meaningful. And so then I would incorporate that conversation into the book. And then uh, there was one point where I was writing and drawing the homeless man going through the garbage and then I was downtown uh, in the same area where I had met the homeless man in San Francisco a year before, and he walked by me and went right into the garbage. You know, then we would have, I had a couple more uh, conversations with him, and it seemed like he his behavior was like reflecting what he was doing in my comic book. It was as if I was writing it right. into reality. Right. And, uh, you know, and other things like that were happening to me all these different things. And it, it really seemed like the world around me was talking to me in this certain way. And, uh, and the last thing I'll say is, uh, I mean, cause I could tell like a dozen stories, right? But there was one event where I was in this coffee shop in my neighborhood in the Richmond district in San Francisco. And this blind woman came up to me and she was like, your third eye is wide open. Yeah. And she was a woman who would like, she was like a pet psychic and she would, heal pets, I guess. Uh -huh. And she was like, are homeless people coming up to you? And I was like, yeah, it's totally. And she was like, is this happening? Yeah, yeah. And she's like, well, your third eye is wide open. You should do this thing. And she taught me this technique of envisioning a, a field of blue and then imagining silver, which is interesting, yeah. silver rain coming down over my head and covering my body. Uh -huh. And uh, so that would protect my psyche from like unwanted visitors from like spirits you know discarnate spirits or right or or people who were you know uh homeless people or whatever like people who were fucked up and who would be seeing that my third eye was open and that my like you know spiritual body was sort of like wide open and that it was like an invitation for anything to come and right mess with me so um she gave me this advice so nice. at any rate, I mean, that was a that was a period of time that went on for a while. And I really that's what makes me really identify with Sam as like a guy who's um, looking for meaning all over the city in different, you know, the city's talking to him. You know what I mean? So right. what was going on? What was going on with you when that kind of thing was happening? Yeah, I mean, it's similar stuff where like you'd be making a comic and you felt like you were affecting the real world. Mm. and um yeah i don't know it was just like a lot of just times where um a lot of synchronistic events happening and mm -hmm. i don't know i haven't really thought about it in a while so maybe yeah. we can come back to this well uh, i i just uh it seemed to me though one of the things that you were experiencing is it it felt like you were very sensitive to, to other everything. people yeah you know, do you feel like they you were reading people's thoughts and stuff? Yeah, like that stuff like time? that. And and when mm -hmm. you say like that woman came up to you and said like your third eye is wide open, mm -hmm. yeah, I would I was having weird stuff like that, like homeless mm -hmm. people. I mean, I feel like I've always had homeless people always talk to me, but mm -hmm. it would be happening more than usual. Yeah, like I'd be attracting the crazier people, right? Basically, and uh, right, or just ending up in in weird situations. Like it's kind of like there was a time where everything kind of like everything was going great, and then all of a sudden everything turned a corner. Mm -hmm. And it's like before I was just attracting like all these amazing experiences, mm -hmm. and then I started like just stumbling into bad experience after bad experience. Mm -hmm. It's a uh, it's a challenging period of time. Where I, I look at it as like you know you're going through a certain period of like psychic development. Maybe your third eye is opening. 
Yeah. It's a challenge that's being yeah. presented to you to you're, you're being, you're becoming sort of more open to a larger understanding of what reality might be. Right. But at the same time, you're sort of like shattered into that. You're broken open into it. Right. So, you know, as you're broken open, you're broken. Yeah. And you're, you have to go from being sort of bombarded with all this new stimulus and information and stuff to over time learning to master that, you right. know, I, I think it's a form of spiritual development, honestly. Right. And, you know, but especially as someone like yourself or myself, where we see where we operate visually and, right. you know, like part of being a storyteller, a someone who writes and draws stories is your what you were ta talking about with your, your the characters and they talk to you and stuff like that. You have to become open to receiving the story. Right. You know what I mean? And so um, I feel like you're prone or I was prone to being open to this kind of information. And maybe, right. you know, as a someone who receives the story in order to receive a deeper level of information or storytelling or what have you, a deeper level of interpretation, you know, maybe you just have to go through that stage of having your third eye broken open and then learning to master it, you know? Right. I mean, I, I still don't feel like I've totally recovered. No, it's a, it's a long process, I think. Yeah. And, and, and I think that this symbol of the third eye is something that's going to come up throughout the film as well. Yeah. And I really think it's an important thing going on in this movie. Um. So, yeah. So that's what I wanted to bring up. Uh, I thought it was relevant, and so we can jump back into the film itself. Okay. So we've just watched Sam at the uh, party, and we've watched him see Millicent uh, Sevens get right. the information that her her father is dead. Okay? So we move from that into he's walking through the park with groceries and beer. It's nighttime, and he gets a phone call from the zine writer, of yeah. the Under the Silver Lake zine yeah. writer. And okay. uh, they... Yeah, go ahead. Okay, well, I just figured this out, but uh, the ringtone is from a uh, an old yeah. video game. It's from a really? 1987 Commodore 64 game called The Last Ninja. Have you ever played that game? I've not ever played it, but mm -hmm. uh, it's it's like a minute and 56 seconds into the soundtrack. How'd you find it? I just, I you know, it's such a weird ringtone that I yeah. looked it. I looked it up online. Someone else mm. figured it out. And what's it called? The Last Ninja. Interesting. I wonder what yeah. that game's like. That's an interesting. I mean, you know, because there's so many. There, we've already talked about three different video game references yeah. so far. So, and there's got to be more. Yeah, I'm sure there's way more. And I wonder if the filmmaker. I mean, clearly he played video games. Yeah. And I wonder if. Uh, this really feels like an important part of his storytelling. And I wonder like if some of his like storytelling realizations come from, you know, or storytelling part of the narration of this film come from his time really playing video games. Right. All right. So it's uh, this ninja game yeah. on his ringtone. It's the zine writer. He calls him. He's uh, as he's talking, there's a shadow that appears. Yeah. And this is the uh, guy under the bridge. He's writing the under the Silver Lake zine. Yes. Yeah, OK. I'll just yeah. for viewers who are just turning in. Yeah. Yeah. The, this is the yeah, the zine writer for under the Silver Lake that Sam's into. Yeah. So they're talking about uh, the writers talking about how he's drawing the next issue of under the Silver Lake tomorrow mm -hmm. and that um, he could come over that Sam could come over and they could talk. Right. 
And as this is happening, uh, Sam notices that there's a shadowy figure standing under the bridge. Right. And there's something really cool about that figure. Like, it's I not agree. completely real looking. Right. Especially that the, he sees him again around another corner. Right. And it's like a moving shot. And it's like the person, It's it feels like it's just a statue just standing there, like, Mm. And the proportions are a little, like, I, it doesn't feel like a real person. It feels exactly. like, because it's not moving. Do you think it's supposed it's to look in like a weird the way. guy, the character from the zine, who is the guy in the hoodie with the, the, the spike oh. who's killed the poodle? I don't know. I've always kind of associated with that. Right. It sort of reminds me a little bit of like the Slender Man. Yeah. You know, like some sort of a figure that's just shadow. Yeah, but he's standing there with like his arms out at his side with his yeah. fingers splayed, and it yeah. just and like the first time you see him, he's standing that way, and then he sees him like a second later in another location, he's standing the exact same way, which makes me think right. it's just it's like a cardboard cutout or something. I don't know. And there's no way he could have gone from one side of the no. walkway to the to now he's in front of Sam. Yeah, I so, mean, could it be? Yeah, a, a hallucination. That's the practical explanation, right? Right. Is that it's it's homeless people posted up on both sides there to show Sam that someone's watching him. But then it could be the cult of the owl, maybe. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it feels otherworldly. It doesn't yeah, feel like it's sure. a, it feels more like a spirit than a person. Right. And it defies reality in that it's in two places at once. So, yeah. Um, and it also could just be in his head, right? Right. Almost yeah. as if like him talking to the zine writer has triggered right. this something, which in some ways sort of like when Sam is in the bathroom being barked at by all the girls, it feels yeah. like another like guilty uh, manifestation of his mind of like, maybe he's the dog killer. Right. And this is him externalizing it. Right. I don't know. It feels related to the, because it's yeah. happening while he's talking to the zine writer, it feels like related to that level of paranoia somehow. Sure. So he drops his stuff, he gets freaked out, he drops his food, and he runs into, he runs out of the park and into the bushes. Is he in the bushes right in front of Sarah's apartment? Yeah. It's sort of right in that zone, right? Yeah, it's, he, he's hidden behind these bushes a bunch of times, I think. Yeah, there he's sitting there waiting to see if this shadowy figure appears, and then we hear some rustling, and he notices that a skunk's right there, and the skunk... Totally just lifts up his him. tail and sprays him real so good, gross. which is, yeah. it's, uh, you know, clearly like an animatronic yeah. moment right there, but I still like that it's yeah how direct the spray is, like right yeah, on him like, like right that. in his face. Yeah. And this is some good puking, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, he... a lot of times people don't puke enough in film. No. And he really pukes a lot there. Yeah. Because like a big amount of vomit that comes out of him. I really, I find that satisfying somehow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he's been sprayed by the skunk. And um, I think this is him, you know, okay. So we've got this thing going on with animals all over this movie, right? Yeah. Um, the un beware the dog killer symbolism on the shirts and stuff. Yeah, it's all animal symbols. The squirrel falling. The coyote um, later. Coyote, the dogs, the rabbit, yeah. and the horse, and with the cars. It's just animals everywhere. Right. What if, what if in this moment he's being marked by the homeless king? The, the, the homeless king seems to work in conjunction with the animals, right? Sure. You know, because he says, if you see a coyote, later on he says, if you see a coyote, follow it. 
Right. Right. So he's operating on, on a different level and he's sort of like has some sort of nature. He's sort of conjunct with nature in the way he operates. Like he respects nature and he respects the symbolic nature of nature, of animals and the meaningfulness of their appearance in your life. So right. what if but they're he, working he, with him and I mean, he's he, being marked now? He also says that the main character has a bad smell about him, though. So I, I But that's after he's is, been sprayed by a skunk. Right, but that's, it doesn't seem like he's, he, he's not saying it's a good thing, though. No, he's not saying it's a good thing, but he's, he is saying it after he's been sprayed by a skunk. And so I wonder sure. if this is like in the way that the, the, the way that the city, the city's kind of marking him. Right. Um, and I and I feel like this is something that is causing him to become more separate from everything. It's a reinforcement of the fact that he doesn't smell good, right? Right. But now, like he's kind of getting he can't knock it anymore. Yeah, and he's getting into a more dangerous zone where he's going to be talking to the Zine guy. Mm-hmm. He's going to reveal a lot of information to him, and this whatever these shadow of figures are are following him in the park and. So I feel like we've ramped up to another level of him uh, getting closer to uh, the the hidden truths of the city. And this is sort of like the city lashing back at him, hmm. but also kind of marking him. And so in a way, like if he smells like a skunk, like he's going to be even further ostracized. So maybe, you know, it's a way to isolate him more, too. Right. I don't know. There's something there about the why he's getting sprayed by a skunk. Right. Um, so he pukes, and then the next scene, he's in his house, his apartment, taking off his clothes, and the TV's on, and they're talking about Jefferson Sevens' death. Right. Uh, they mention his car. They say that the chief of police has identified the body as Jefferson Sevens. That's interesting. They say, believe it or not. Yeah. It's Jefferson Sevens in the on the news, and they point out that the chief of police specifically has identified. Oh. So this is like, you know, the authority has yeah. has from on high said it's definitely Jefferson Sevens. So any doubts that it's not him should be eliminated in this moment. You know, being right. brought to like, the news. It's like, why would the chief of police be the one to say it? Like it's right. kind of like he probably got word from somebody up above. Right. It's part of the whole yeah. thing of like, they really want people to know that Jefferson Sevens is dead. Right. Right. And so the chief of police would obviously be in on it. Right. Right. So yeah, it's, it, it just reinforces this kind of idea of like, it's definitely dead. Don't question it. Right. And they talk about a, a specific type of dog. We'll get there. Okay. Uh, okay. We see, we see the girl, a uh, Sarah's photo and, um, the 76 cookie and Sam's parking ticket with the 157 number for Echo yeah. Park and the symbol of be quiet. Right. All in one little shot, which I think right. is kind of neat. I never noticed that before. So it's like he's starting to accrue clues. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't know if there's a message, in, if there's a code in there or not. I don't yeah, think there don't is, think but so. who knows? Could be. Could be. But I just like it as a shot. We're starting to show that he's starting to like, He's starting to gain clues. Yeah. Uh, they point out on the news that the bodies of three women thought to be prostitutes uh, right. were also found with him. And, you know, clearly this is Sarah and her two roommates. Right. 
right? But they're prostitutes, so there there's another connection to the to the um, shooting, stars. shooting stars, right? Uh, and then they make a point of talking about the dog, right? Uh, like, a, what what do you remember? What kind of dog it is? No, I'm trying to. I don't remember, but I'm sure but it's they the make, exact type of dog she had. She has, right? Yeah. And um, this is a weird moment because for some reason they're showing a cop holding a bag of evidence with a hat in it. Right. And it, it, But that's like, that seems to be like he's holding it up just for Sam, basically. Right. Like that wouldn't, it doesn't seem like a thing you would see on the news. No. And then Sam has like one of those TVs that you can just use the remote and zoom in. Can you really do that? No. <laughs> Can you, I mean, especially live, would you be able to do that live? No. It no, seems like he knows exactly what button to push on his remote that just zooms in on Well, the... he's going to zoom in on Vanna White's head when she's blinking and looking. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, that's, that's obviously like some weird movie. Uh, just it's, Yeah, it's fake. Yeah. <laughs> it can't happen. No. So it's for us. Yeah. To show that it's he zooms in on the, the on the baggie yeah. holding the burnt up hat in it. He grabs Sarah's photograph and he compares the hat on her head in the photograph with the hat in the bag. Yeah. So he realizes like the same hat. it certainly does. Yeah. And plus he's they're talking about her dog. Yeah. You know, I don't know if what he says, holy shit or whatever, but he clearly realizes that uh this is the, this is her. Yeah. Okay. And um, it shows that Jefferson Sevens was born in 1950 and died 2011. Yeah. So he's 61. And uh, now we know what year it is, too. I don't think we knew until then. Right. Um, so from there, we go to a very important moment in the movie, yeah. which is now he's in the bathtub bathing in tomato juice. Right. Which is sort of like him bathing in blood, right? Yeah. And um, his actress girlfriend is sitting on the floor with her. Uh, she's she's wearing a sexy nurse outfit. Right. And she's reading a, the zine. Yeah. I also want to point out that there's a pyramid shape right behind, right him, behind him in the yeah. tiles. Yeah. And to reinforce that, there's three cans of tomato juice as a pyramid just behind him sitting on the bathtub. Right. So, and that is very much like a subliminal advertising move right there. Sure. That could also be a Zelda reference. The pyramid? Yeah. The Triforce of Power is the main thing you're after in that game. And it looks like a pyramid? It, what does it look like? Yeah. It's a triangle. It's three hmm. triangles all That's next to each other. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. In my mind, I think this is a reference to because they're going to start talking about the uh, the owl's kiss. Yeah, and so I think this is a blatant reference to this Egyptian symbolism. That sure, they're... I, I think that's more that than what I said. But the tiles, but I like make that it you. Feel, it's like a pixelated yeah. art, basically. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's totally cool. So it's like a video game pyramid. Yeah, that's wicked cool. I dig that. Oh, nice, good observation. Oh yeah. So and he's then, in the. Ba- he's got like Go an ahead. awesome bathroom, by the way. Oh, you like his bathroom? <laughs> it's awesome. well, yeah, it's pretty standard to me. No, but the colors are great. The tiles on the uh-huh. floor are awesome. I don't know. What it's what are the tiles like on a, the floor look like? Wait, uh, they're like little hexagons. Okay, I don't know. It's like a standard California bathroom from like the fifties, for sure. But it's way nicer than what you'd see these days. Really? 
Yeah, I think so. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, so she's reading the zine to him, yeah. sitting on the floor holding her nose. She's yeah. in a nurse's costume. Why is she in a nurse's costume? I mean, obviously it's supposed to, you know, uh, she uh, imply she had that another she, audition. Right. But, but is she, again, is she a shooting star? Is I know. Well, the moment you said outfit? that, the moment you said that, I was like, yeah, she probably is a shooting star. Because right? the outfit she's wearing to these auditions are like, they're like a sec- sexy style costumes. Like, right. Like, they're like Halloween they're, costumes. Yeah, they're like slutty Halloween costumes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. They're not, um, they're not, you're like, what is she auditioning for? Yeah. He doesn't seem to be affected by the idea that Sarah's dead. Right. It's weird. He yeah. He doesn't seem to be affected by it. I agree. Well, he, I well, also, yeah, go ahead. It doesn't seem like he believes it, so. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe he doesn't believe that she's dead. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, you know, I thought it was it's meaningful that he's naked watching that and now yeah. he's in a bathtub. Yeah. Right. So this is a. It's another it's, ritual. It's another ritual. It's, you know, another reference to the Silver Lake idea and the idea of water and rebirth. And, but that it, it does feel like he's bathing in blood. Yeah. Right. So it's a little more satanic in a way. Yeah. Which kind of works with the dialogue. Right. So, uh, so we will learn that. And also we've got the idea that Sarah is potentially dead. And then immediately the nurse, the, the actress is there who is like the double of Sarah. Right. You know, so in a way, like in his psychology, this is his opportunity to talk to Sarah. Right. In a way you could kind of look at it that way. You don't have to, but I just think it's, they're always associating the two of them together. Right. And Sarah is sort of like the deeper, more clued in version of this girl. Right. Do you think this girl is shallow? She doesn't really give a shit about. No, I mean, we'll get into what he talks about, but her response to what uh, he's saying is like, oh, maybe they find out where all the good restaurants are or something. Right. You know, right, right. So this is a... Before we move on, I mean, do you think there's any, with her being in a nurse's costume, do you think there's any symbology there like is she like a healing i don't know she's is not she a healing figure or is this is she like a satanic uh right it's like a fake priestess. fake fake healing yeah she she doesn't mean it if she's yeah. a heal supposed to be a healer so is she supposed to be more symbolic of like uh in a you know like a sort of a say more satanic uniform like to right. of this blood bath thing right I don't know. I, you know, I, I, if you look at it one way, she kind of represents a healer, but if you look at it in another way, she doesn't, she's not into yeah. it. So yeah. I mean, she's at you? least like a, represents a trusted person you can confide in, mm-hmm. which, which is mm-hmm. what he does, but then she, mm-hmm. he freaks her out. It is sort of a doctor patient relationship they're having right at this moment. Yeah. Right. He's injured quote unquote, cause he's been hit by the skunk. Yeah. And she's dressed as a nurse there to save him. Right. Okay. So this is what I've written down. I guess maybe I haven't written exactly what she's reading, but she's reading the zine to him. Yeah. What I've written is the owl's kiss is a lost legend of folklore. It's compared in the zine. It's the owl's kisses compares her to Frankenstein or the Wolfman. Which we've talked about. Frankenstein and the Wolfman have both been mentioned already at one way mm-hmm. or another in this movie. 
She walks through windows and locks locked doors at night, naked except for the taxidermied owl skin she wears for a mask. She, she seduces men and women alike, killing them in their sleep. The beautiful specter is responsible for dozens of deaths in the L.A. basin, though she hasn't yet to be mentioned by the media. This author believes she may be a member of a long-standing American cult with origins in trade and finance. It's the unlucky soul who finds himself the recipient of the owl's kiss. And then she's like, what a bunch of bullshit. Right. So she's not into that at all. She just thinks this is some dumb shit that he's into. The owl's kiss, maybe, let me save this until we get to the conspiracy guy. Right. But I'm pretty certain that this is related to Minerva or Athena. Right. Okay. Why do you say that? Um, I will tell you. Okay. But I'm not going to tell you right this second, and we're going to get to it. Okay. The ner- the actress says, oh, what a bunch of bullshit. And then she starts talking about she can't believe that Jefferson Sevens is dead. And then she talks about how all these different celebrities are dying lately. And Sam says, everybody dies, even the people we think are going to be here forever. Right. That feels meaningful. Right. Do you think that – I know you had a theory about – his mom being dead. Mm, yeah, maybe it could be a reference to his mom or his dad, but it does. It also feels like a very much like a Hollywood reference, right? You know, like that idea of like immortalizing people on the screen, and they, so they all they are like forever young and beautiful, but then at the same time, they all these actors and actresses get old and die too, you know, or these these big. People in society, like Jefferson Sevens, is an analog for any like big like politician or you know media figure or whatever who right. seems like they'll always be there but they die too right elvis died marilyn monroe died you know these people who feel larger than life they're mortal then she so, so she asked him about those special pages that he was hiding after they had sex yeah he asked he says something like you know how um records used to have satanic messages on them if you played them backwards and she's like yeah And then he starts to talk about how he started to notice he would watch Wheel of Fortune. Um, And even the reference to Wheel of Fortune feels symbolic in a way. Uh Um, But uh, he goes on to talk about Vanna White and how he'd watch that uh, she would have these certain kind of eye movements and glances and head glances that she would do over and over again. And he started to think. It was a pattern that she was giving off like a, that she was doing these head movements and glances uh, in a certain pattern every show. And that that was a meaningful thing that he started to feel like it was meaningful and that he should interpret it, you know? Right. And he says he has seven months of records of her doing this. So does this also mean that he's been unemployed for seven months and been sitting at home watching Wheel of Fortune? And obsessing over Vanna White's head movements. Not necessarily, but maybe. Yeah. It is such a weird observation. Yeah. It feels particularly crazy. Yeah. You know, like, because who the fuck would watch Vanna White and think that her head movements had, like, a message for them? Right. That feels like a really, like, a genuinely crazy thing. Right. Only a crazy person would think that. You know what I mean? Yes. Because it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like something that would be. It's not even like a something like hidden in a movie, like a right. symbol that's you know, or something like that. It's just 
Wheel of Fortune. It's just some fucking game show. Right. But here he is obsessing over it. And then he's, and then this is a moment where he really re- starts to reveal his inner experience and, and maybe part of his motivations. Right. He says, why do we just assume that all of this infrastructure and entertainment and open information that is beaming all over the place all the time to every single home on the planet is exactly what we're told it is. Maybe there are people out there more important than us, more powerful and wealthier than us that are communicating things and seeing things in the world that are meant for them and not for us. I think it's fucking ridiculous to assume that media uh, has just one purpose, right? And she goes, uh, you know, she sort of shrugs and he says, oh, you think that's weird? Yeah, I mean, she kind of looks a little bit too. Yeah, she stops holding her nose. She does this really yeah. beautiful. His monologue is awesomely intense and crazed. Yeah. And then she does this really beautiful movement of slowly taking her fingers off of her nose and sort of almost lowering her hand over her mouth, which is that yeah. sort of like astonished, like, oh, dear, now you're frightening me. Move. Yeah. And he says, uh, don't you think that rich people know something that you and I don't? And she says, what did she say? Uh, she says, I don't know where the good restaurants are. Right. Like I don't know exactly what she says, but that's pretty much it. That's pretty much, yeah, where there are good restaurants. That's yeah. all that rich people know that they don't know. Yeah. So she doesn't, and she's not into any of this shit at all. No. And she's freaked out and she's like, look, I don't mean to offend you or something, but you really smell and call me when the smell goes away. Which essentially means he's never going to call her again in this movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because I don't know if there's a point where he stops stinking. Yeah. So she, she, she's freaked out and she's out of there. But uh, I love this moment. He's so crazed in his explanation. Right. I don't, you know, I don't think he's necessarily wrong about no. what he's saying. But it's that thing it's that we were talking about earlier. In the, is right. That makes it seem crazy. Crazy, but also just that sort of obsessive paranoia. Yeah. That makes it seem like, oh, this guy is not. She's starting to realize that maybe he's more fucked up than she thought he was, I think. But it also really is that beautiful. He's he's doing the thing that I feel like I experienced and that maybe you experienced, which is that that you're seeing this deeper thing in society. But what goes along with that is that you're a fractured person. Mm-hmm. So is it just psychosis and it's not a thing? You're not really seeing something that's just the externalization of your inner psychosis? Or are you really noticing something and it takes the mind to be fractured in order to start to see this deeper level in right. society? You know, it's kind of like six of one and half dozen of the other. What right. You know, what's the truth? Right. They could both be true in a way. Sure. But then I feel like when you're, looking at things on that level it's hard to tell what is real like it's Mm kind of like you have to be Mm -hmm. totally open in a way Mm -hmm. that it's like you can't tell what is what isn't real and what is real kind of yeah 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 it's awesome and uh, i feel like the filmmaker must understand this state of mind as well yeah Cause he's really doing a great job of showing something that I feel like I personally have experienced, but you don't always see someone illustrate it so well. Right. You know? And uh, so uh, this is a really beautiful moment in the movie, in my opinion. 
Yeah. And so we're entering a deeper level of the movie, I think, with this scene. She, the, the, the actress d- ditches. We cut to a young, very young Vanna White. Yeah. Um, at some sort of, I don't know if it's a Miss America pageant or what, but it's a beauty pageant and a guy talking about her. She's from yeah. Atlanta. Yeah. She looks fucking crazy. Yeah. She looks almost angry. Yeah. She looks like Pharaoh. Yeah, she does like, not look happy to be there. No. To be doing a beauty pageant. No. And it's cuz normally they're out there giving the fake smile, right. you know, and the posing. So do you think they just out there... synced up some different footage with that audio? Cuz it Maybe. is it is strange. It could be somehow the filmmaker knew that this piece was out there. Yeah. And they and it had, you know, maybe it was something that he I this really feels like okay, so the Vanna White observation and this moment of showing Vanna White from an old beauty pageant, this feels very personal to me. Like this is something that the filmmaker right. observed and came up with from personal experience. Right. This is David Robert Mitchell's deal. This is coming straight out of his experience. Right. And so maybe he saw this old footage of Vanna White at a beauty pageant was like, she looks fucking weird. Yeah. You know? And... Something's weird about her. So, and you know, like, I love it. I really think it does sort of look like someone who is under mind control. Sure. Right? And then we have the, Vanna White is definitely like the blonde. Again, we've got the blonde young actress, you know, Vanna White, Sarah, Marilyn Monroe, Gwen Stacy from the Spider-Man comic. There's the, there's the pattern, you know? Yeah. Yeah, she just looks really weird. And then we... I, does he get called outside or is he just all of a sudden outside? Um, we hear splashing maybe? Yeah. So we go to this scene that is Sarah outside in the pool. I think maybe even the pool looks different from the way the pool is normally in the apartment building. Right. You think it's filmed in a different location? Maybe. Maybe there's something I I wonder if it's a different looking pool. Yeah. But anyway, what's going on here is she's swimming around and she's saying uh, something like, come on in. It's so refreshing. Yeah. And so this is him. This is the filmmaker reproducing this famous piece of film that never got of of a Marilyn Monroe movie that never got finished. Right. Right. And you can go on YouTube and find the clips of all the takes of Marilyn Monroe swimming in a pool and doing that. Come on in. The water's so refreshing. Right. And doing all the moves that Sarah does now are all exactly those moves that Marilyn Monroe is doing in this old film that never got finished. So, again, here is Sarah, the Marilyn Monroe analog. She's in the water. She's inviting him into the pool. Yeah. You know, so it's like, follow me into the Silver Lake. Follow me into the unknown, into this conspiracy. Right. He's really like, really, really like hitting home like she's the Marilyn Monroe analog. Right. Right. And all the conspiracy things that come with it, um, I think. But that also, you know, like come swimming in the pool with me. I think, you know, like she's kind of like a... Uh, something that I didn't mention earlier, but like in the Arthurian Arthurian story, the the uh, the Lady of the Lake, the Lady of the Lake, and the Holy Grail, especially mm-hmm. that. So the the sacred waters, like I feel like she's sort of like this Holy Grail symbol, um, you know, because in a way, like she's Sam's Holy Grail, right? You know, she's like his completion. She's like the thing that he's looking to complete himself with, and. 
in Arthurian myths, the Holy Grail is the symbol of the bloodline of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we'll see later on with uh, where they point out President Lincoln's face on the right in the, the conspiracy man's. guy's wall. Yeah, supposedly. All right, so there's a there's a group of French kings called the Merovingians, right. which like if you watch the Matrix, yeah, they, you know they about get into that. that. Yeah, yeah, and supposedly the Merovingians are a group of French kings that are the bloodline of Jesus. Right, they they're carrying on the the royal. DNA lineage of Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene. And so supposedly in history, I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but, you know, or at least in like occult history, Mary Magdalene escaped the crucifixion and went to France and started, uh, you know, had a child. And that lineage of Jesus and Mary Magdalene went on to survive in France. And there's even, I'm blanking on the name of the church, but there's a specific church that you can go to that has a lot of weird symbolism in it. And um, it is supposed to be the church where they brought Mary Magdalene. And so she is like the symbol of the bloodline of Jesus Christ. And so the story of King Arthur and Guinevere and the holy them searching for the holy grail is really the secret mm-hmm. the story of the secret lineage of Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene and it's sort of like the holy grail is like when you quest for the holy grail you're essentially questing for the divine feminine and this idea of like right uh the knight's quest for the holy grail for their it's a symbol of like the quest for enlightenment or completion or to find the divine feminine. And, you know, the Bible, the the Catholic church famously sort of cuts out this idea that Jesus was married and that he, you know, had a a royal wife and that they have a divine lineage. They cut all that out. And so they've kind of cut out the divine feminine out of the whole Mm -hmm. uh, story of Christianity. And, and in some ways, you're sort of like fracturing people by not teaching them the other half of that idea, you know, of the, Jesus is supposed to be the son of God, but who's the daughter of God, right. you know, in a way? Like, why is it all this masculine teaching? Where is the divine feminine in the teaching of Christianity? So in a way, you've kind of like hobbled humanity by eliminating that whole part of the story. And also you've sort of like cut out the idea of that this bloodline goes off into humanity and informs, you know, the DNA of certain lines of people in the in the world. And uh, supposedly Lincoln supposedly is a Merovingian is of the Merovingian bloodline. Yeah, because they make these people who have gotten into this kind of conspiracy uh, study have l- figured out that all of the presidents of the United States have all have royal lineage. They're all connected to royal line bloodlines in one way or another. Uh-huh. Um, and so supposedly Lincoln was a Merovingian. So, uh, which is interesting thing that Lincoln comes back. So I, I kind of look at this whole thing with the water and the rebirth come in, you know, it's, she's like this, it's definitely like this Holy grail moment. Right. Because, uh, it goes from her doing the Marilyn Monroe stuff. And when we get a close up of her in the pool, she does that Marilyn Monroe move where she puts her arm up on right. the pool and then her leg. Yeah. And prominently on her arm is the, the, the silver, silver bracelet yeah. that we saw yeah, before, right. and which will come back again. So we're really supposed to be seeing that. And then she's, then she's sitting naked 
on the edge of the pool barking. Yeah. Do we think that that's a code? I don't know. You know, I hadn't thought about it. that. Makes total sense. All right. Well, maybe that's a thing for yeah. you to look into in the future is to see if anyone figured out if the dog barking is code. You pointed out before really nicely that it doesn't. She's doing a terrible job of syncing up with the dog yeah, bark. It's comp- so it's like the fakest dog barking. It looks terrible. Yeah. So, I mean, it could just be her not really getting it as an actor. I feel like she was directed to do that. To look, to make it look shitty. Yeah. So that it stands out, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So there she is barking again. That's That connects right back to the girls in the bathroom barking at him. Right? Right. And then he wakes up. So yeah. this, the So the Vanna White thing, I think, was in his dream. Oh, really? It could have been, or it could have been what he was watching as he fell asleep, yeah. but it's an old Vanna White clip, so why would that be on TV? I, I don't think, it's probably a videotape he has. That's what I assumed. Oh, you think he's watched that before, huh? Yeah, because he's obsessed with Vanna White. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. That would be weird. I, yeah. I like it because it sort of like, it blurs this between when was he awake and when did he right. fall asleep. yeah. No, they're constantly doing that. In fact, yeah, I feel like the further into the movie, the less there is is a transition between the dreams and reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he could have been watching that, but it also could be he was talking about Vanna White, and now his mind has brought in this old clip of Vanna White, right? And that you're again relating Vanna White to his weird conspiracy ideas, and also Vanna White to Sarah to Marilyn Monroe. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a one-to-one. Uh, it's really nice. It's really, it's really done well. This is really thoughtful work, I think. So he wakes up, he looks out the window and they're taping off police tape around Sarah's apartment. Right. Again, he has no real reaction to it. Right. Which to me, I was like, that's weird. He's not upset. But, right. So maybe your theory is right and he doesn't really think she's dead. Yeah. You know, I mean, his actions would prove that he doesn't later on, right? But how would he know already at this point that she's not really dead? I don't know. Yeah. Because if he does think she's dead, he doesn't seem to care. Right. But if he doesn't, then that would then his reactions would make more sense. Right. Yeah. So we go from that to him walking outside. And we've got this music that is seems like, like you pointed out before, it's taken from some old, old movie. Yeah. Because it's sort of like fun music. It's yeah. sort of fun old 60s romantic comedy music or something. Yeah. There's a black woman, uh, tall, thin, same kind of body type as we've been seeing before. She's wearing a colorful skirt and a shirt. We're looking at her ass. Yeah. You know, he's following her ass up the street. And there's, there's a that- homeless guy right there. Oh, is there? Yeah, there's a homeless guy under a tree when she gets out of her car. Interesting. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't notice that. So he walks out of his building and follows her up the street. Um, And it's like an old romantic comedy, kind of. Yeah. And as she's walking now, we start to see other girls and far away in the shot coming in from both sides. And they're all dressed similar to her. Yeah. And they're all like, yeah, they're wearing the same outfit with high heels. And yeah, it's really weird. And all the same body type, but all different blonde, brunette, you know. What, what have you. And uh, they're all, yeah, they all pretty much have the same costume. And we see that they're all going to an audition, an audition, but it's like a shitty written sign auditions. 
Yeah. You know, in front of this guy's garage. Right. And it's like a garage that's not even connected to the, it's like in the building, but you have to go outside to go in your garage, basically. So it's just somebody's apartment complex. Oh, really? On the side. It's not even yeah. like a guy's house. Well, there's a, it's attached to a house, but uh-huh. you can't go into the house through the garage. It's just like a shitty garage that you could, you could probably barely fit a modern car inside. It would have to be a small car. Okay. But huh. yeah, it's just a guy at like a folding poker table. And he's got, he's just wearing like a, like a sleeveless t-shirt. Yeah. He's a fat dude with a, like a he's handlebar mustache. Sandals. Is he wearing goatee. a fake mu- mustache? I didn't notice it was fake. I mean, I right. just noticed he's got like a goatee and a mustache. He's got that's sort of like a, a very crazy facial kind of. hair. Yeah. But he just looks like a, shlo- a sort of yeah. a slob. Yeah. It and looks he, like all the women have been scammed to audition there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so then there are all these girls in the same uniform auditioning for this guy. And I feel like this is like, again, he's trying to point out, like, this is like his thesis of what Hollywood is. Yeah. You know, like in a stupid way. Right. This is like the the base level of the larger message of like these rich guys in Hollywood uh, turning, you know, actresses into prostitutes and... And bringing them, you know, into entombing them with them, with the thought that they're all going to become enlightened. Um, this is like the base level of that, where it's just some schmo in his garage and all these yeah. actresses who are all dressed the same, uh, all look the same, essentially the same body type, what have you, all like hoping for a break from right. some schmo. Who's, you know, like, even if they get cast in whatever this guy's doing, that's not going to go anywhere. No. It feels like this fruitless, like, scam, kind of. Yeah. The scam of Hollywood. It's like a huge, like, it's like, it's like the universe is trying to pound this into Sam's head. Like, here's the scam of Hollywood. You know what I mean? I'm trying to wrap my brain around exactly why it's there, but I just feel like it's like the... Uh, this simplified version of what the themes of this movie are. And because there's so many of them, it kind of makes you feel like uh, any girl is interchangeable in this world. Right. None of them matter in a way. And they're all pawns of some disgusting guy. Right. (laughs) Kind of. So he's there. There are three actresses looking at, Oh, okay. He passes a van with a ribbon magnet on it. Right. And 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 uh, the magnet says dogs deserve better. Oh, yeah. You'll never. You'd have to freeze the frame to get right. it. Right. You'd never I remember be able the rib- I remember the ribbon you're talking about. Yeah, I, I yeah, didn't yeah. Read it. It's on a van, I yeah. think, that in the foreground he that he passes. But if you freeze it, it the ribbon says dogs deserve better. Right. I really love that. Um, so uh, there, and there are more, you know, home uh, more. Uh, Missing people or dog posters, but you can't read them. I tried. Right. I can't read them. So there are three women. Okay. So we're back to three women again. And they're standing around this graffiti in the street that says, beware the dog killer. Yeah. And as Sam approaches them, his shadow crosses the words. And he, all their other shadows are not touching not. the words at all. And like uh, the beware the dog killer at the beginning where uh, the woman is rubbing the bee. Yeah. His shadow most closely comes to the bee in that, which could just be a coincidence. Right. I there we like go again with the bee. The, 
The W, the, isn't it? Beware. Maybe. But it's. Cl- I just noticed that yeah. it's close to that, you know, again, where it's being pointed out for some reason. But right. maybe there's no reason. Uh, you're clearly supposed to notice that his shadow cloth yeah. crosses the thing. And so, again, here we are suspecting that Sam's right. the dog. Killer. And all the women, the street that they're walking up to is called Garden Lane, by the way. Huh. I don't what know. What do you think that means? I don't know. One girl says uh, something like, oh... I don't even walk my dog anymore. And another one says, yeah, we use a litter. We use a litter box. Yeah. And the third woman's like, what's that smell? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> as Sam approaches, yeah, he's nonchalantly sniffing himself. Right. Right. And then uh, he notices that his car's being towed. Yeah. And he books it down the street after the guy, after the tow truck. You know, he tries to get him to stop. The guy's like, if you can't make the payments, yeah. you can't keep the car. Yeah. Something like that. And tows his car away. Yeah. And then a person with a shopping cart and a hat walks by. Yeah. So the car drives away in the distance and across the same street, the car's driving down this person with, you know, uh, and I think it's a woman. Yeah. Pushing a shopping cart walks th- and, across and the, the shop street. cart looks like it's filled with bottles and. Yeah, it it's looks very like it's a homeless blatant. Person. Yeah, it's definitely a homeless person. And it's very blatant, like yeah. notice the homeless person in this moment. Yes. So again, I think you know the homeless king. They're tracking him. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe his car's been towed because someone doesn't like what he that he's on their trail. Right. You know, maybe someone up in you know some position of power in city hall has been like. This fucking guy is getting onto us. Get take his car. You know, right. let's fuck with him. I don't know. Yeah. So his tar's car is towed. Then the next scene, he comes upon the billboard. Is this the second time we've seen the billboard, or the first time? This is the first time we've seen it, I believe. Okay. So there he he comes upon. So now he's forced to walk, right? Mm-hmm. And he's walking, and he walks up to this area where he comes upon the billboard, and it's this brunette, beautiful brunette. Staring out, uh, it's optique contact lenses. Yeah. There are five contact lenses standing up in a row. Yeah. What do you think that's about? I don't know what the five, I mean, the five goes back to his apartment and the five days mm-hmm. and the 23, his apartment 23. Maybe that's there because of that. Maybe, maybe it's there because she used to live in his apartment. Mm. You know, as we noticed with the posters that are gone from the wall. And we know that eventually that we realize that this is his ex-girlfriend on the right. billboard. So maybe it's supposed to connect us to him in another way that the five is the 23, like she used to live with him. Right. It says, I can see clearly now yeah. on the billboard. I love that. Yeah. And then there's the cipher in the lower left part of the yeah, billboard that says little... E equals EE. Yeah. Which we later, well, you figured, you already explained what that was in an earlier episode. Yeah. But it's part of the cipher that set that is these what these three words or what three words what three words which is that website where yeah. where each, each location on a map is represented by three words so that goes back that's a that's a clue back to the original scene the original the beginning scene of the movie right um, and maybe it connects this to the brunette from the original scene where. You know, I kind of have the theory of like, it's the blonde talking to the brunette. So it's his ex-girlfriend talking to the future girlfriend or whatever, the future obsession, Sarah. 
this is a really important symbol in the film. And we don't know that it's his girl, ex-girlfriend yet. Yeah, we have but, no idea what the importance is. Yeah, but just I can see clearly now feels yeah. important. And that, you know, we're moving into this phase where we're revealing the conspiracy. Yeah. So he's starting to see clearly. Yeah. Um, he's also wearing a shirt that says Wood Badge Peninsula, Ohio, Camp Manatee Staff. Right. And it has a piece of wood with an axe in it, and it says EC26W. I have no idea what that is yeah. or if that's a thing. Right. But that's what he's wearing. It, again, it feels like maybe the filmmaker, if this was like a camp that he went to or right. something. But it could have a code on it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know either. But this leads into him arriving at the cartoonist house. Okay. So right off the bat, his address is 1492. Right. I Near Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Correct. Just like, you know, when he put in the American flag in that other conversation in the bar, mm -hmm. I feel like we're supposed to recognize that there's something, there's a metaphor about America here uh -huh. somehow. Okay. That's what I think he's, in some ways he's setting up, you know, I mean, people uh, have really divisive opinions about Columbus for sure. sure. You know, that maybe he wasn't such a wonderful guy. And he was responsible for killing lots of Native Americans yeah. and started the whole fucking bloodbath of what we did to their culture here on this, this uh, continent. Right. Um, so, and that either he's like uh, the guy who discovered America, which must be bullshit, right? Right. I don't, I don't think that, no. I think they already knew that it was there. Yeah. Um, and that this is just, propaganda that they use with Columbus to um, Columbus, like the word Columbine is a reference to doves, hmm. you know? So there's another bird symbolism right there. Um, and we're going to have more bird symbolism as we go. But so right off the bat, 1492, that's not an accident. Right. He invites him in. He's like, you want a cold beer? Cold beer on a hot day. I like that little delivery. Yeah. And he's looking around paranoid as he walks out, as he comes back into it, you know, like, as he closes his front door, mm -hmm. he are, immediately they demonstrate that this character is a paranoid guy. Right. And this is the actor, um, what's his name? His name Patrick. is Patrick Fischler. Yeah. Who I think most famously is from, what, what I, what I, my, the iconic moment that I think of him is from uh, Mulholland Drive, right. another LA movie yeah. with conspiracy and mystery in it. Yeah. Where he sees the homeless guy. Yeah. Who has the box behind the and he retells his dream in the diner. Yeah. And they go out and then it happens and it frightens him to seemingly to death. Yeah. Or at least into slow motion. Yeah. That I, that is totally terrifying <laughs> moment in that movie. Too. Oh, it's so awesome, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's an incredible moment. Yeah. So this guy's got a wonderful face. Yeah. You know, really interesting looking guy. Perfect for this role. Mm -hmm. We're in his house. They're immediately, there are sta <laughs> owl statues everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. We're going to learn that he's obsessed with the cult of the owl. And I'm going to go into what the owls are about. Okay. Why don't I just do that now? Okay. The owl symbol comes from Greek mythology, most obviously. Mm -hmm. It's Athena's owl. Yeah. The Roman version of, the, uh, of Athena is Minerva. Right. 
Um, so often this owl is called the owl of Minerva. And I'm just looking at Wiki right now, but it's been used as a symbol of knowledge, wisdom, perspicacity. I don't remember what that means. And erudition throughout the Western world. Athena is the goddess of wisdom. So uh, the owl seems like the perfect, um, the perfect, you know, symbol for Athena. Right. Supposedly in uh, Bohemian Grove, uh, famously Moloch. Mo- the Moloch statue, other people think that actually this is a symbol for Minerva's owl. Okay. This is a symbol for Minerva. Right. So it's goddess worship, actually. Hmm. It could be could be Moloch. You know, Moloch is this some sort of bull god, and supposedly they would sacrifice children in the statue of Moloch. They would put the like a baby in the hands of the statue, and they would set it set a fire below it and burn the baby to death, and that would be a sacrifice to their bull god. Right. So that could be what's going on with the owl statue at in Bohemian Grove. But other people think that this is actually a reference to Minerva. Okay. And something that's very interesting about uh, this is in ancient Rome, owls were considered harbingers of death Mm. if they hooted while perched on a roof. Mm. Um, And placing one of its feathers near someone sleeping could prompt him or her to speak and reveal their secrets. Nice. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. I really think that's really interesting. So... Uh, so, you know, specifically through Greek and Roman times, this owl, it, 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 we're at least supposed to make the connection, I think, of, you know, of this goddess of wisdom and the owl. Okay, so this guy's got owls everywhere. Right. Um, all over his apartment. He's also got all these masks of famous people. Right. Are they life masks? What are they called? Yes, they're called life masks, but I really look at them as death masks, death masks. right? Yeah, right. You know, he says they're resin castings of famous people's faces. Yeah. He's got a shitload of them. Yeah. He's yeah, saying they're definitely real. I don't who all the other people are, but I can't find. Uh, I wonder if you looked at this on a big movie screen, you'd be able to read what all the faces were. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe on a big movie screen. Yeah, yeah, but I can't really tell on the screen. He specifically points out at one point is a shot of Kim Kardashian, Lincoln, and Raquel Welch. Yeah. Which is a weird combo. Yeah. I wonder if you were to look into all of them, what you would find. Uh, Kardashian feels like, you know, L.A. royalty. Yeah. You know, like, she's famous for no good reason, it seems. And so I get kind of get the feeling like it's that idea of, like, the importance of rich people in L.A. society and that maybe... They're well-known because they're actually descendants of some royal bloodline or something like that. And what I said about Lincoln, that could be, he could be this uh, Merovingian bloodline. Maybe Raquel Raquel Welch is hooked up like that as well. I don't know. The comic guy points out, this is Johnny Depp and next to Grace Kelly. Right. What the fuck? Yeah. What do you make of that? I have no idea. (laughs) It's so specifically weird. I'm like, what? What's that all about? Yeah. Any any ideas? No, I have no idea. Okay. But it's really fascinating. Yeah. And there look is, at all these faces. There's a shot of him when he hands uh, Sam the beer. There's a uh-huh. ship on the shelf behind him, too, like hmm. a Columbus-style ship. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. And there's huh. also like a fish tank full of 
dollar bills. And there's a fish tank that looks like it's filled with like peeps or something. Yeah. Yeah. There's Is a, that what they are? Yeah. They're peeps. They're different colored peeps. That's such a cool detail. Yeah. And then there are all those comic books in the yeah, foreground. Yeah. All the, they're all, I think they're all Marvel comics. Marvel. They Hulk seem like they're Dagger, Marvel. X-Men, Fantastic Four. Yeah. Yeah, and something yeah. with I don't can't read what it is, but it looks like it might have uh, Jamie Madrox, the Multiple Man, on the cover. Oh, Jamie Madrox, the Multiple Man. Maybe I can't even say it. It's so yeah. impressive. Multiple Man. Interesting. I don't know. Which would probably be. What you think it's his own comic or just no? An he's, X-Men? he's he's guest starring on something. I I don't think he ever had his own comic, but it could be like a Falcon comic. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, I don't know. I can't tell. It also Falcon is. It also might be Falcon fighting a Hydra person. Well, Falcon is would be relevant because then you've got Horus symbolism. Yeah. He goes, I really need to get a family so I have someone to leave these two, right? Yeah. These people need to be remembered. Yeah. That's uh, what a that's an incredible moment cuz he looks a little cra- the the comp guy yeah. looks a little crazed while he's saying that. Yeah. Well, he he leaves a big pause. He says, "I really need to give a get a family, which I feel like there's a big pause between that and when he sends the rest of it. And it, huh. it, it kind of like first leads you believe like he's saying like, Oh, I'm crazy and pathetic. Kinda. Uh-huh. Cause, Cause Sam's looking around his apartment and it it just looks like a madman lives there. Yeah. An obsessive mind. Yeah. Yeah. It feels sad. Yeah. But it feels meaningful too. Like the idea, uh, like th- obviously this guy's not going to have a family. Yeah. That's not going to happen. But someone to leave all this to. Yeah. Like, maybe that's Sam, in a way. Right. Sure. But him saying these people need to be remembered. Right. That's, that's the weirdest line. Yeah. You know, like, that's sort of like what Hollywood is for. Right. It's creating stories for us to live vicariously through. And these people, as it creates them to be important. Right. Because they're living out the stories for us. So they become like mythological figures. Yeah. You know, that, that, it, that's what, uh, you know, like with Greek, Greek plays, you know, they're like doing the Greek myths and they're, they're Greek plays are kind of ceremonial. Right. In a way they're, they're like have a spiritual aspect to them. They feel like cathartic. That's where the word catharsis probably comes from is Greek. Greek right. theater and that the characters when they're wearing the Greek masks they're they're inhabiting the character in the same way like other you know like uh African spiritual ceremonies they wear masks they become the character mm-hmm. you know different different forms of religion kind of do that same thing where like the the priest and uh embodies the character the shaman embodies the character that's who these people have become for us right. like they are telling myths for us to live vicariously through and create meaning in our own lives. Right. But that he thinks they need to be remembered is just an odd take. Of course, they're going to be remembered. Who's not going to be remembered is that guy. Right. He's not going to be remembered. Right. You know, so I find it sort of ironic that he's saying this. Then we go to Sam drawing out the stay quiet hobo code. And it's over another issue of Under the Silver Lake. That is about the cult of the whale. Right. And I, I had it written down somewhere. I don't have it, says, it here. but dangerous organization. And then there's somewhere that's covered up. Uh-huh. It's something ship ship center on Catalina Island you'll want to visit. Yeah. But I I don't know what the ship word is. Because it, I don't. Okay. And it's all these people walking into a whale's mouth. Yes. Which is that Jonah and the whale yeah. story. And 
and Pinocchio. Yeah. Uh, and around his apartment, there's more dioramas and stuff. You don't get a good look at any of them. But mm. but yeah, the cult of the whale. The cult of the whale. What do you think this is? The cult of the whale. I don't know. I did not look it up. Is that a real thing or is that just made up for this movie? It feels made up to me. Same but here. Uh, of course, Catalina reference is important because yeah. they've already connected that with Jefferson Sevens. But also, maybe we can look at this symbolically as like you're consumed by the whale and taken underwater. Yeah. So it's the idea of going under the Silver Lake, into the into the unknown, into the hidden, the occult, the subconscious. You know, sort of a thematic reference to that idea. Right. He, the comic guy says that the symbol means stay quiet. Right. It's hobo code. Yeah, he brings out his hobo code zine. Um, I have the word explanation of hieroglyphics in quotation marks, but I don't know why. Oh, that's the, com- that's the hieroglyphics from the hobo code. Yeah. He comes back with the, the pamphlet about the hobo codes. Yeah. And we go through them. I think it's possible that these hobo codes show up more than... We're noticing. Just a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I've been looking for him, but I... Well, there's one that I found immediately after the scene. He goes over to Topher Grace's house, and there's an X in front of his house. Oh. And it's on the street right in front of his house, and X in the hobo code means no good. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. So I think the movie's telling you that... Not to trex. Oh, yeah. That's the first one. That uh, Topher Grace is no good. It says, too poor and no too much. What's that? After no good. That's what it also means, the X? X, it says, no good. And then it says, I too poor and no too much. I don't huh. get it. No K-N-O-W? Yeah, K-N-O-W. Or... Weird. And two is like T-O-O. Well, too much, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I wonder if we, if you really looked. I haven't found them yet. Yeah. But I noticed immediately after this scene, there's the hobo coat on the street right in front of Topher Grace's house. So that's cool. And there's a, uh, this is something while we were talking about the pool. Um, when she's in the pool, there's this line going down the mm-hmm. center of the pool and she crosses it. Oh, really? Yeah. And I'm wondering. In the dream? In his dream? In his dream. Wow. And that's in the hobo symbols. What like is a, the line? A, it's a cross, basically. What does it mean? Uh, it says religious talk with something about getting a meal, I think. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that. It, it's uh, that you'll, in order to get a meal there, you'll have to oh, do, you have to you'll be have to religious. talk. You have to talk religion with yeah. the person. Yeah. So it's just telling another hobo, like, just be ready to, to talk. These people Jesus. are religious, so they'll feed you, but you'll have to talk religion with yeah. them. Okay. I mean, I don't know if that is, that is a real code, but I, I was like looking at the, I was like, I wonder if that means anything. Well, you know, the, 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 uh, the cross in the circle is kind of like, uh, relates to like the Holy Grail, like right. the Knights of the Round Table stuff. And, you know, the nurse is also, yeah. the actress nurse is wearing the red cross symbol yeah. too. And she's related to the girl in the pool. Right. So maybe there's something going on all, with all that. Yeah. There's also, there's pyramids all over this guy's apartments too. Oh yeah. I don't know if you yeah, said that uh, earlier. I did not. Not his apartment. No, yeah. I haven't mentioned it. So... He's talking to him about the hobo codes. Mm-hmm. He mentions something about the cult of the whale, but he thinks that, that the owl's kiss has something to do with everything. Yeah. And he's like, the owl's kiss? And he's like, he breaks out. He's like, give me a dollar. Yeah. So Sam gives him a dollar. He circles the little tiny owl in the corner of the dollar bill. Have you ever done that before? No. Look for it. I, that was something I've known about for a long, oh, okay. long time. You know, that's like right up there with the folding, the dollar, right. the whatever. So that looks like the Twin Towers falling. Right. But yeah, I've, I've known about the owl on the dollar bill for a long, long time. Um, and of course, the owl, the dollar bill has all this 
Egyptian and Masonic symbolism right. all over it. And it has a Jewish star on it. Um, it has, oh, there's uh, something really interesting. The uh, On the dollar bill, the eagle that has the shield and the arrows and the laurel re- yeah. leaves, the laurel. That's the original design for that is a phoenix. Oh. And it's supposed to be symbolic of uh, the star system Lyra. Right. It's from like the 1800s or something. But so that's a that symbol of the eagle on the dollar bill is actually a reference to the phoenix and is symbolic of the star system Lyra somehow. Right. And the phoenix comes from Egyptian, is an Egyptian symbol as well. And of course, the phoenix is about death and rebirth. Anyway, that's just a little aside. So now the cartoonist starts getting into the owl's kiss. Right. Well, before all that, doesn't he, he mm-hmm. shows him a zine he made of like missing dog posters too. Yes. He goes through a whole thing, a series of posters that there's been a, 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 a for the past couple of years, there's been a series of missing dogs, missing people and missing instruments. Yeah. You know, you theorize that maybe um, Sam has been stealing musical instruments. Yeah. And uh, of course the dog killer and all that, like, you know, we, um, this movie is riddled with the whole right. missing dogs. Um, and missing people. Okay, cool. He thinks that this has something to do with the owl's kiss. So then he pulls out the dollar bill and shows him the little tiny dial, owl. owl in the corner of the, the dollar bill. And he says that the world actually operates under her law. So I think like, you know, we started with 1492. Now we're talking about the dollar bill and the owl on the do- dollar bill and her law, the owl's law, right. owl's kiss's law. So this is like secret society Americana right. going, that he's, you know, really delving into in his w- weird conspiracy mind. Right. He starts talking about secret codes, subliminal, sexual advertisements. Yeah. And he runs off and comes back with a whole series of old uh, subliminal advertisements. Yeah. That are all like sex. It's all like focused on women's mouths and yeah. fellatio yeah. and dicks and and breasts and and blow it into her face yeah. and all this stuff. But what's really interesting is that he goes from foot, you know showing us the guy showing the f- images in the movie to now it's just a series of images. Yeah. Which is a weird move for the filmmaker to make yeah. at that point. Yeah, it's it is weird. It it it's I mean, when you're watching the movie you don't notice it being weird but it's weird it's weird because now we've left the narrative and now we're just showing yeah it's essentially like a slideshow of right and he's sub- and subliminal he, advertisement and the comic guy's talking over it he's talking over it he says ideal ideologies you assumed you adopted out of free will but are actually the result of hidden messages so he's making a point of showing that yeah Society has been broadcasting subliminal messages to you for your entire life and that it's in the advertising. And and it almost feels like this is the filmmaker. This is part of his thesis. Right. He's showing you like a slideshow essentially at this yeah. moment. So you're, you're, it's, uh, I, can't, I don't know if the word is didactic, but there's, it's like the idea of like, it's no longer... You're no longer supposed to be just intuiting images from the story, but now he's just like outright showing you. Right. Here's subliminal advertising. This has been going on in American society for decades. Right. Right. This is what Hollywood does. Yeah. And and yeah. And so the the cartoonist is making a point out of that. There are ideologies you assumed you adopted out of your own free will, but 
they're actually your ideologies are actually the results of hidden messages that have been put into media. Right. And Sam says, what if there are messages that aren't subliminal, but are only meant for certain people? Right. And uh, the cartoonist says, yeah, of course, that's as common as tits and hamburgers. Right. Which leads them into his bedroom. Yeah. (laughs) Where he removes a hidden wall in his bedroom and brings him into this little crawl space. Right. But there's all these newspaper, before he does it, you see the wall, there's all these newspaper articles taped to the wall. Yeah. Things like kiss your astronaut goodbye and something Uh on the moon and headless body in topless bar, which is my favorite. That's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. UFO lands in Suffolk. Uh, What's that? What's that one? UFO lands in Suffolk. UFO lands in Suffolk. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there, here we go. And this is like the conspiracy guy, like a cliche, right? Is him trying to make all these connections. And so it's the, all the conspiracy evidence all over his walls. Right. Right. This is to show, oh, wow, this guy is crazy as fuck. Right. But not only is he that crazy, but now we're, now we're showing that he's got a secret crawl space that has video monitors from cameras set up all over his apartment. Right. He's he's essentially saying, you know, I got to protect myself. Right. Because he's deep into the conspiracy. So what would a conspiracy guy think? But, oh, they're on to me and they're going to know that I'm on to them. So they might come try to come and get me. So I got to make sure that I I'm constantly monitoring my right. home so that. The uh, kiss of the the owl's kiss doesn't show up in my house and kill me. Right. As they're talking, we're shown images of different parts of a be- his bedroom. Yeah. There's that one cipher that people have used in the film that's over his bed. Yeah. Right. So this is where you get the final key to decode the what three words? The what three words cipher. Yeah. So that's in his bedroom. There's all these crazy. There's one shot of his wall with all these things all over it has Marilyn yeah in it it's got like photos of tombs and tunnels and art and news clippings and old buildings yeah um there's one photo of Artemis of Ephesus the statue that has all these breasts on it right and some people relate that statue to the goddess Diana, who's the moon goddess uh-huh. and is a fertility symbol. And other people think that all the breasts are actually bull testicles. Oh. Which would kind of go back to, which would be another fertility symbol, but that would link it to um, the bull god right. that you mentioned before. Yeah. Moloch. Moloch. There's a Columbus yeah. uh, dollar from the Bahamas that I think has Columbus on it. Interesting. Because he was governor of the Bahamas, I think. I'm not sure. Oh, wow. Wow. What else? What else? Did you write down anything else um, that you noticed? No, there's just something in Korean. Uh-huh. There's some some like pictures of tombs. Yeah. H.H. Holmes. I don't know. if he, He's a serial he's a killer, killer, right? Killer. Okay, yeah. I think yeah, so. Yeah, I think you're right. There's another code on his... On his wall. On his... Well, on the bulletin board. Uh, there's a code like as you enter his room. Right, but there's one on the it's bulletin vertical. board with the Maryland's dead stuff. Okay. There's another code. Okay. It, look, it might be the same replacement code. I'll have to check. I feel like, you know, there's at least one shot that we're talking about that has the code, yeah. the cipher code on it. Yeah. That feels like an orgy of evidence for this film. Yeah. Kind of like maybe if you wanted to go really into that, you might explain the entire movie. Right. I don't know. But 
It looks like um, there's there's like a stained glass of an Adam and Eve Eve handing oh, Adam okay. the apple. Yeah, which good I one. feel like like there was also like Garden Lane that I pointed out earlier. There's a lot yeah. of and Eden yeah. Edenville, yeah, where they all the dogs must die. Yeah, I don't know why, but he when you get into his little crawl space, there's like like sort of like kinky nudes and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, maybe there's... what looks like dead naked women and like crazy shit. Yeah. In his crawl space, it's like, whoa, that's, yeah. that's maybe there's some stuff I don't want to yeah, see. Yeah, you've gone too far into his head. Right. <laughs> um, there's all this he, stuff with makes... the moon, too. Uh-huh. All uh-huh. over the, like, all over the house, there's these pictures of, like, cycles of the moon. and Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yep. Which feels very important. Yeah. You know, especially for later on when the the full moon's out. And... Yeah. There's a shot of some sh- of a shelf with a, some toys on it and some Nexus comics. And, there's uh, a Grim Reaper statue. Yeah. And then there's, there's the, the uh, there's a Legend Link. of Zelda. Yeah. And if you look yep. on his shield, he's got the three triangles of the Triforce on him. Ah, there you go. There's yeah. the Triforce. Yeah. Any other statue stuff that you recognized? Yeah. Well, there was yeah. There was the Death Statue. There was a Bigfoot head, I believe. Oh, nice. Um, there was a, a lamp that has an owl on it. It's like a tree stump. With an owl, there's a mm-hmm. there's a yeah. glowing baby head. Yeah, they keep they there's a series of shots around his room, basically. This uh design work, the the people who are doing the uh set design yeah. on this movie are having a blast yeah. at this guy's house. There's just, there's this a is, paper that's this is like a lot of yeah, a lot of fun. There's a paper that says cows lose their jobs as milk prices drop. <laughs> Oh man, this filmmaker's great, man. Yeah, he he's definitely having a ball with this yeah. scene. You know, I I you know uh, whether he however he feels about conspiracy, right? He's done the right thing in my mind, which is like he's really invested in like trying to make this as as rich. genuinely real, yeah, uh, like what a real conspiracy theorist room might look like. Yeah, you know, a guy who's gone this far with it. What it really might look like, because it's not all perfect, right? Like I've watched like that that Mel Mel Gibson conspiracy theory movie, right? And that's so Hollywood. It's the Hollywood version of that, right? And it just you know just it kind of it just doesn't feel as cool. Like this feels more real, but funny. There's jokes all over it, but also meaningful things. Yeah. Like this is fun. Yeah, I like I like what he's doing here. Yeah. This there's, is this is good shit. There's a Nixon mask, and then there's uh-huh. two more in his bedroom. Underneath mm-hmm. the code, there's two more like Columbus ships. So there's three ships altogether, which is the you Nina, know, the Pinta, and the Santa, Santa Maria. Maria. Yeah. Mm. yeah Although that's then, the Pilgrims, right? Or is that Columbus? That's Columbus. I think. I don't know. Or is that? Maybe that's. Mm, I can't remember. No, that's Columbus. Okay. Okay. And then in intersperses all this, this weird, like, yeah, like you said, like weird clippings from uh, porn mags and like weird mm-hmm. fetish photos black and white yeah. photos and, and, and maybe there's like, all these like porn tapes murder, all murder photos too. yeah yeah oh yeah and maybe yeah mur- murder photos yeah why does he go and try to get the cereal box i don't remember i forget i forget he what... disappears behind his video consoles yeah. and he he pulls out the cereal box yeah the cereal box says space stones it's got a little weird spaceman on it yeah artificial fruit flavor sweetened cereal map in every box and there's a map of Silver Lake on the back. Yeah. 
It's part of the map on the back of the box, I think. Yeah. He says, this is the key to everything I've been searching for my whole life. Right. And that makes Sam think he's crazy. That's like, yeah. that's like the moment when Sam's talking about Vanna White, but for Sam, where he's like, this guy's bonkers. Yeah. He's like, are you serious? Yeah. It's like, yeah. I think that's the end of that scene, is it not? Yeah, they talk a little bit more about the map. Do you remember what they say? No. He 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 mentions that it's like a it's a a map of Silver Lake and that it's it's the ratio leading him somewhere. Yeah. It's a perfect yeah, it's a perfect it's a perfect ratio to the actual layout of Silver Lake. Yeah. And it's leading him to something and he says this is the key to everything I've been searching for in my whole life. Right. We've at least set that up as a very important object. Yeah. In this guy's home. Yeah. And so, I mean, we can keep going if you like, or we can stop there. That's, I think that's a good place to stop. Okay. So, yeah, this is a really important... These, we've we've had like a couple really important moments of revelation in this yeah. part of the movie. From his monologue in the bathtub to the cartoonist revealing the the greater conspiracy and the owl's kiss and subliminal advertising and how none of your thoughts are your own, really. Right. You know, none of the things you love are not really, they're not, they didn't come from you. They came from something else. I like this part of the movie. This is really fun. Uh, and I like that he's really digging into the conspiracy aspect of right. this whole film, you know. So, yeah, you have any uh, parting thoughts, Andy? Uh, severed head found in topless bar. <laughs> yep. yep um, okay, that's where we're gonna we're gonna leave off uh, at this point in Under the Silver Lake. Um, Andy, you want to let the people know where they can find you online? Sure, you just go to andyrestino.com and you can find links to everything I do. Um, and you can find me at uh, thesearedreams.com. The word these, the word are, the word dreams.com, or philrestino.com. And uh, you can find me at Phil Restino on Facebook or Instagram. If uh, you want to message me, uh, maybe Instagram's the best way to, inst- to message me right now. I have a uh, an early days of my Instagram account. I haven't really posted much, but uh, uh, I think I'll definitely be using that as this podcast goes on. Nice. Um, so thank you, Andy. Oh, yeah. Thanks for Phil. once again digging in with me. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, we're really getting in there, man. We're getting, I know. We, we've, we've definitely dipped a foot into the silver lake at this point. Yeah. You know, maybe we're like shin deep, maybe yeah. into the silver lake by now. We, are, we, not we are about 50 minutes into the movie. So. Wow. 50. <laughs> I think we did more than 15 minutes this time. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely of did. The film. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting there. We're almost halfway through the movie, probably. Yeah. I would bet. Um, so thank you to everyone who's been listening, and thanks for sticking with us on this. I I feel like uh, this pays off to really dig into this film this way. If you rewatch the film after, yeah. you kind of go through this. And and maybe it's it would be fun for you, like, if this inspires uh, you, the listener, to start to do your own interpretation of Under the Silver Lake Um you know, you'll come up with your own theories, which is really fun. Right. It's just a fun way to watch a movie, um, sure. you know, and informative and, uh, and, and, you know, and a way to look at other forms of art or even to watch the news with this kind of thing in mind. You know, right. what, what have you, popular culture? You watch the Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune with a discerning eye yes. and be looking for the secret messages that might be coming to you from Vanna White's eye blinks and head moves. Because right. we all know she's doing it now. Now she's right. been exposed. Yes. 
now we all know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you for listening. More to come. Where I'm going to say we're thigh deep into the Silver Lake and ready to wade deeper. So come with us as we wade under the Silver Lake. See you next time. Thanks again. You've been listening to the Post Relevant Podcast episode number three. With me, your host, Phil Rustino. More Under the Silver Lake talk coming up. We're going to get way deeper into that most silveriest of lakes. Special thanks to my brother Andy Rustino for his continuing scintillating conversations. Also want to say special thanks to my buddy Alan Tobin, who's the co-writer of this song that you're listening to right now, The Post-Relevant Movement. Our project Agents of Venus has this song and many more on the album Bodoved, which you can find on Bandcamp and Spotify. And to quote British comic writer Steve Eilitz, Issue number two of Hyperthick out now. Quote, full disclosure, I'm a mandrill. <laughs> He's also got a, a book on a shelf in one panel, and the book says, The Light Between Eclairs. <laughs> Look up Steve Eilert. He's awesome.